Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. Uh, but I don't know if you know, we've been spelling it wrong all these years. Uh, it's actually uh, lowercase g, a, capital M, lowercase e, capital Z or Z, uh, lowercase o, capital N. <laughs> it's a long title. Uh, capital F, lowercase y, capital L, capital M. Okay, you got crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to write that on the chalkboard, <laughs> just so everyone knows. Uh, but yes, what is the film we're doing today, Rory? Well, to mark the release in UK cinemas, at least, of Crimes of the Future, which originally debuted at the Cannes Film Festival back in May 2022, and I think has been released already in US cinemas, but it's finally arrived in the UK. It's the latest from Canadian author David Cronenberg, and we're going to be looking at his 1999 film, Etz Estens. I thought it was earlier for 99, but it's 99, is it? It is 99, and it came out about a month after The Matrix. Oh, Jesus Christ. I was like, oh my goodness. I thought it was like 97. I got a real 97 vibe, but maybe it's because it was filmed in Canada and like, you know. It's just a few <laughs> years behind. Um, like, I've never seen a... It's funny how, like, The Matrix has got, like, wicked cool boots and leather and trench coats. And the hero in this film is largely in, like, a, be- a beige fleece. A beige zip-up fleece. <laughs> I think possibly from Tolga 24. I, um, <laughs> it, I think, you know, one of my main notes on this film before we get into it was the 90s were gross. And that's that's before we even kind of, like, get into... The fleshy stuff that uh, David Cronenberg particularly lights and is definitely present in this film. But man, I mean, the 90s were like just the sort of general aesthetic and style. Yeah. No, I get where you're coming from. I really do. And like the hair product and everything, it's, it's, it's absolutely abominable. At the same time, I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer from beginning to the end for the first time during lockdown. And by the end of it, I just was, oh, I was, I wanted to dress like that. I had a real, like, <laughs> look at everyone living the moment, nobody looking at her phones. And it's like, oh, man. All the teens these days already, I've seen loads of, uh, of you know, young people today with curtains and baggy beige cargo trousers and tie-dye t-shirts it's 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 coming back in a big way but i'm not a teenager it's not fair i can't enjoy it (laughs) oh man didn't enjoy the fashion when i was wearing it you know back in the day didn't enjoy it can't enjoy it now (laughs) my wife we were sat across from each other at the kitchen table and she said you used to have a style Like, well, no, yeah. I think you. I think the idea is that you grow old gracefully, and that now's the time. You mm. know, you can reinvent yourself. <laughs> I'm looking forward to being a lot older when I can pull off 
I don't know, like a real uh, dapper velvet suit in a bright colour and people just think, oh, he's just an eccentric old man. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm currently in Glastonbury and there's, there's an old man in the street dressed as Merlin and that's how I had my sight set on. I'm going <laughs> to just grow a beard, sit on the street with a cap and sort of give tourists spiritual directions to the toilets, to the public toilets. <laughs> That sort of a thing. But I digress. Yeah, there was definitely, as I said, definitely a mood this film has just by the very token of when it was filmed. But of course, as you say, this is a David Cronenberg joint and very much a David Cronenberg joint. But I I say that, though. But the thing is, I would say I'm a massive Cronenberg fan. But looking through his filmography, I think I've just watched like three of his films, <laughs> but like his body horror type stuff. And because this film, I guess, was like it was a real flop for a few reasons, such as just not really getting any sort of marketing at all in the US. He sort of disappeared from doing body horror for a while and he started doing things like uh, A History of Violence, which is really, very good. But... I think the reason why I'm so hyped about Crimes of the Future is that he seems to be returning to sort of his icky uh, stylings. But um, what's your experience with Cronenberg? Have you, I mean, I think I've seen The Fly, History of Violence, Existence. I had watched that before this podcast. Um, and also... Oh, another Eastern Promises, maybe? I've not seen Eastern Promises. Okay. I think it would be in... But like I've not seen like Shiver or Rabbit. Oh, Scanners. That's what I was thinking of. Scanners. Because, okay. you know, that's if you don't know Scanners, it's where that meme of the exploding head guy comes from. <laughs> I think I've seen that gif maybe a, a thousand times um, and yet still never seen the film itself. Um, I, my Cronenberg uh, history is fairly spotty. It's a bit kind of random and all over the place. So, yes, I've seen The Fly. I've seen The Brood, which I guess was his, still in his early body horror, you know, Canada thrust with stuff like Rabbit and, and Shivers, etc. And then, yeah, I saw East, History of Violence and Eastern Promises. And then I think like the only other one I've actually seen, and I saw it at the cinema, was Cosmopolis, which is maybe one of his more kind of difficult or different works but I would consider myself someone interested in his work even if I don't necessarily I guess watch them all um but I'd never seen existence before I had seen it for the podcast myself I mean the thing is The Fly is one of my favorite movies of all time and it is definitely one of the greatest horror films um, what I like about Cronenberg is that his films are about things. And when we get into this film a bit more, you can see how it deals with a lot of topics like films like The Matrix and films like Ready Player One and other and like Inception. A lot of other films have swum in the same waters, but I feel Existence is really interested in those questions. Whereas perhaps the questions in Existence are more like window dressing in other films. But uh, people say The Fly is about sort of age or AIDS or just illness. Um, 
what am I trying to say? Well, I guess I'm trying to say, like, I guess that's why I appreciate David Cronenberg so much because he, he, some, some, the, what I have seen uh, have always been kind of wonderful. Plus, he's also in Star Trek Discovery as a recurring character, which never fails <laughs> to tickle me. He's really good. He plays like a Starfleet security officer. And because he's Canadian and Star Trek shot in Canada, he will show up in like random roles. Like he also shows up in like the start of Jason X <laughs> as <laughs> a sort of military scientist dude who like immediately gets macheted by a, like a ter- like a frozen Jason or something. And I think he also is like a serial killer in um, Clive Barker's Nightbreed. You know, he's always putting himself out there. And of course, he's got a son who's, I think some people say I've taken up his mantle. Certainly, I've seen David, I've seen, um, God, I can't remember his son's name. Uh, is it Brandon Cronenberg? Yes, I was going to say it's something Cronenberg. <laughs> 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 uh, um, I saw Possessor in the cinema and it was, I need to rewatch it. I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was good. It wasn't perhaps as good as I hoped, but it was, it was good, but it definitely had a lot of close ups of like, thick like analog style switches and things and things being slid into people's skulls and a little bit of blood comes out and things yeah and anyway long story short i i've got all the time in the world for david cronenberg body horror i think he's you know got a very interesting body of work uh to use a pun perhaps um and i think this film slots into that fairly neatly and I I think what's sort of interesting about his work is that it's some of it's quite um uh heightened uh to use maybe a um a slight understatement uh I I think he's very sort of interested in ideas and concepts and he lets his characters in a way sort of almost verbalize how they're feeling I think he's quite happy to be very open and explicit about the themes he's doing and, and not, you know, I'm not, not to use a Darth Marenghi like subtext is for cowards <laughs> kind of thing. Um, but I think it's like, you know, he's very open about, yeah, I'm talking about the sort of the vulnerability of the human body. I'm talking about sets. I'm talking about death and just going full bore with that kind of stuff and not being ashamed to, present these issues, which, you know, I I think through watching his films, you can maybe reconcile in yourself how you feel about, I don't know, turning into a big melty fly monster man. (laughs) Um, But, you know, sort of ideas of metamorphosis or ideas of perception of reality or ideas about, you know, mortality. And, you know, his his films, and, and often quite a kind of comic and knowing way is like a kind of fertile playground for these bigger ideas, perhaps. Oh, no, I also seen Videodrome. There we go. Oh, I've seen Videodrome, yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think a lot of these films, including Existence, so I, I've seen these films perhaps when I wasn't so mature enough to appreciate them, because... When I saw Existence, I have I've got a pretty I remember like the last bit of the film because it is quite a barnstormer. I'll get into that in a bit, but um, I like I just remember feeling just this is weird and I'm not sure I'm not sh- sure what this is about. This is just, this is weird. If there's a lot, there's like a real queasy vibe 
over a lot of his films, like I think Videodrome, but I think maybe you have to be a little bit more mature to sort of see where the characters are coming from. But we'll get mm. into that perhaps in a little bit. But uh, do we have anything, do we know anything about like the making of this film, any trivia at all? Well, um, I think it was filmed on quite a sort of small budget. And like you said, it, it didn't do particularly well. And it seemed that the kind of production company weren't really up for marketing it. And it's interesting, actually, the trailer does sort of have this techno music. Um, it's definitely, if not, you know, in the wake of The Matrix, certainly, how do we market a film about virtual reality and perception? And, oh, at one point, the main character or one of the main characters is holding like a weird looking gun. Let's put that front and center and all the marketing material on. Maybe people will think it's like some sci-fi, cyberpunk action movie. Um, so, yeah, that does not seem to have been the case. Um, and I guess the film he did before this was Crash, mm. which um, obviously, you know, had a lot of controversy, especially in the UK surrounding it, although I confess to not seen it. And subsequently, I guess, you know, up until Crimes of the Future, this was his last what you might call quote-unquote body horror movie. Mm. But you can kind of see how, not, so, not necessarily being sort of stunned by the experience, but I think he kind of maybe sort of deliberately made a kind of move into different territory because at the, he'd probably explored all he wanted to at the time um, of these themes. And it's interesting actually that Crimes of the Future is, I think, a feature-length version of a short film he made back in the 70s, or at least a sort of the ideas came from an earlier work of mm. his. And the title, definitely. I can't remember anything else about that. That's the kind of research mm. you get on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think when we look at our video game movie oeuvre that we often talk about, it's rare that we get a chance to talk about a sort of alter beyond... You know, this is his only, I guess, video game movie, so to speak. So it's interesting, you know, to get to talk about a sort of auteur and how they respond to the concept of video games, how they approach the material, whether it's with a kind of like, oh, kids these days kind of attitude or whether it's someone who understands video games as a medium or if not necessarily does a one-to-one -one accurate portrayal of them, you know, has concepts which don't seem kind of condescending or like stupid nerds or or that kind of thing and is it he's um i guess approaching 80 at the moment and i think you know you have these kind of titans of of cinema who sort of came up in the sort of 70s and uh 80s and things you know you have your scorsese you have your paul verhoeven or whatever and i i think it's it's great that they're still putting out i mean i haven't seen crimes of the future yet but they're still putting out like significant important interesting work so it's 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 fun to you know experience his work through the prism of the video game movie <laughs> i know it's like really popular to like have a go at marvel films and superhero films all about jazz um i like them like i've got my ticket this week to go and see spider-man no way home the extra fun stuff edition or something where they've just put deleted scenes in it or some such thing i don't know i've got i've got an unlimited card so i'm just gonna go and see it that being said um i think there is some credence about how 
I feel mainstream cinema is a little less interested in challenging its audience. There's lots of great challenging films out there, but it's usually by studios like A24. I guess, you know, I, we're, we're thinking of films like, um, I mean, you mentioned the big directors who came from the 70s. I'm also thinking about George Miller, who's just released um, 3,000 Years of Wishing. Longing. Longing, damn it. It's about a genie. The marketing worked for that too. <laughs> it's going to flop big time. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I just, it's just nice to, again, watching this film, I was thinking just about a time when, I don't know, a director would just release a, a film and be like, yeah, this is, deal with it, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Uh, although I, I noticed, sorry, the film company for this, one of the first titles which came up was like Natural, Natural Nylon. It's like, ooh, <laughs> wow, those two things don't go together. Ooh, it's like the Arctic Monkeys ooh. or something. Coincidentally, this is, I suppose, also accidentally topical. I didn't realise when we decided to do this, but the film concerns a video game developer who is on the run, and there is mention of a fatwa, in the film, and apparently it was inspired a little bit by a conversation that David Cronenberg had with Salman Rushdie uh, regarding the publication of the Satanic Verses and the fact that and the fact that was put upon him. And of course, um, in the past few weeks, he was stabbed at an event, um, mm. and it's sort of just one of those things where, you know, I saw Salman Rushdie in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm a few years ago joking about. Larry David having a fat were put upon him. Um, but it's just like sort of weird how these things, I don't know, kind of cycle back in, in, in strange ways. And yeah, it's, it's clearly dealing with, you know, maybe slightly heavier subject matter than Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Um, <laughs> well, but... they made a third one. So I want to know where this goes. We're like, they're fingering each other's biopods. <laughs> spurting a board game into their spines. (laughs) But what I will also say, and again about the sort of incongruity of the marketing, but when I was uh, looking at a poster for this film, my eye was drawn to the very bottom and there was a Dreamcast logo. Okay. And I don't know if you realised, but Existence in the UK was released in association with the Dreamcast. And what that sort of boils down to, because, okay, so Dreamcast marketing at the time, because it was released in, the console was released in 1999 as well. So Dreamcast sponsored uh, Arsenal Football Club. You might remember its logo appearing in Josie and the Pussycats. So Sega was clearly like in this kind of scattershot, let's sponsor this, let's sponsor that. And I, for the life of me, I don't know whether they actually watched the film mm. because it's got this kind of streak of, anti-video game terrorists trying to take down like a video game developer sort of thing. I think they saw, oh, there's this new movie. It needs a marketing bump. And there's something about online gaming. We're the world's first online games console, up to 6 billion players. Um, (laughs) Shall we release like promotional t-shirts and stick our logo on the poster? And it it culminated in the the DVD for Etzestens, on the main menu, there's like a Dreamcast logo and you click on it and you get like a promo video. And um, if you stick the DVD in your PC, you get 
the Dream Arena uh, website, which was the Dreamcasts Europe's um, official homepage. And the only other shred of evidence that I can find is is a very small picture on Reddit of Jude Law at a Dreamcast launch party holding a Dreamcast in front of a, a console playing Sega Rally 2. So <laughs> That's bananas. I love it. I can't believe we never got an Xbox, I'm sorry, Dreamcast marketing, a Dreamcast. I can't believe we never got a Dreamcast which looked like a MetaFlesh game pod with like a gross <laughs> umbilical going up like Judel's backside. I um, <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. I mean... That's the 90s, baby. I mean, we watched this film, both of us, on Pluto.tv, which is like a free streaming service with adverts so it's not the ideal way to watch a film and i was thinking i really fancy getting the dvd of this now and now i'm absolutely convinced (laughs) i want to um anyway well that's absolutely fascinating because i was i was in my notes thinking why are these consoles so gross i know it's cronenberg why and could you imagine if, if, like, the next PlayStation looked like this? But now I know, like, like you could absolutely fit a Dreamcast in one of those things. Yeah, and the controller doesn't look... I mean, it looks like a... I was trying to think what controller it was closest to, and it would be, like, an original Xbox controller or a Dreamcast controller, I think, apart from the nipple. Yeah, um, I mean, actually... just it's pretty for, similar shape. For our listeners, like, to describe a... Uh, MetaFlesh game pod it looked kind of like a i guess a fetus a fetus with clitoris clitoris clits all over it this is like not an <laughs> x-rated with, with nipples oh my god i mean again what makes Cronenberg great is he, he is very transgressive and he's like you've basically got characters like fingering these like little nubs on this like squelchy sort of fetusy thing i just like you know i love it <laughs> it's um, it's a very hard film to watch while you're eating i know you know we're, we're especially recording. if you're like eating oysters or <laughs> no there's something a, there's a bit where jude law's like eating just just the most gross stuff and you just think i wonder what he was really eating though maybe jude law's got a cast iron stomach though <laughs> um is there anything more about the film backstory, or should we should we loop up our bioports <laughs> and enter existence? Um, sure, let's do that. There's an intimacy involved in playing existence that is beyond description. They just pop your spine with a little hydro gun. Break out of your cage, Paco. I haven't crippled anyone yet. Step into my office. Now I'm warning you. It's going to be a wild ride. The new millennium. This is amazing. Will bring a new experience. You're the power source. You'll see how natural it feels. Where the playing field is a parallel universe. The game's a lot more fun when it starts feeling realer than real. No use fighting it. I don't like it here. You think it's infected? It's not infected. 
It's just excited. I think we're still inside the game. We have enemies in our own house. I do feel the urge to kill someone here. Do it. It's just a game. Something's wrong. Oh, God. What happened? Let's come back here with us. Shall I read the synopsis? Yeah. Well, I've got a screen grab of the box, and Daily Mail says a razor-sharp sci-fi thriller. And Film 99, presumably Jonathan Ross, says wildly entertaining, great fun. <laughs> um, it's not really that, though. I mean, I mean, it is. I, I don't know if I'd say it's fun. It is fun. I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know. I just, I find just really interesting. That That's a very interesting comment, comment, Jonathan. Well, I always treasure the Batman Forever VHS box where Jonathan Ross on the bat says, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yes. I actually just started following a Twitter account called like Joel, Joel Schumacher Batman Daily. And it's just every day it's of something from Batman and Robin or Batman Forever. And it actually brings a smile to my face every single time. <laughs> Um, the mirror says five stars. Fasten your seatbelts. Cronenberg has a fun ride in store. But what's this with the fun? I mean, it is fun, but I don't know if I'd promote it as fun. I don't yeah. know. Well, the tr- the tagline: "Play it, live it, kill for it." Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So the synopsis on the back: the near future, existence is the ultimate game. Brainchild of the hip. Hyper and sexually alluring Allegra Geller, Jennifer Jason Lee. Once downloaded via Bioport implanted into the player's spine, Existence promises an experience that will shatter forever the line between fantasy and reality. At its launch, armed fanatics burst in, determined to destroy the game and its creator. Forced to run for her life, Allegra's sole ally is a young security guard, Jude Law. Together, they seek refuge in the only place the gaming goddess feels safe. The world where existence ends and existence begins. You do have to get the pronunciation right between existence and existence, don't you? Speaking of pronunciation, the accents were all over the place in this film. I mean, (laughs) should we tell a bit about, we'll give our our brief thoughts on the film itself, because I think it's actually quite a difficult film to talk about without going into spoilers. Um, Like, I mean, I will say I I did really love this film. (laughs) I loved it a lot. And, but I think I had a a unique experience to you because I had watched this before, but I think it was literally 20 years ago. And the whole, the characters are spending half the film wondering if this is real or not. And I was like, did I see this or not? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, did I dream this all before? I know. Like I said, I remembered the ending, but maybe, but look, I mentioned the accents. As I said, the accents are all over the place. So like the whole film, 
you're kind of a bit wrong-footed. You're like, is this intentional and is this not? So I can see why maybe my younger self just kind of watched it thinking, this is just really poorly made and this is just weird (laughs) and, like, not great. But now, when I'm watching it now, kind of basically trusting in Cronenberg, I was really pleased to find that it, it does sort of all sync up. Well... I think I liked it, is my kind of mm. general reaction to it. Um, the, the, the performances, the dialogue, the delivery, um, it reminded me a lot of, say, Yorgos Lanthimos. And to a lesser extent, actually, I watched recently the film Duel with Karen Gillan, um, which is very much maybe sub-Lanthimos in terms of his work. Yorgos Lanthimos, he did Dogtooth, The Lobster... Um, oh yeah, killing of a sacred deer, the favorite. Where everyone's got this kind of very heightened, mannered line delivery, um, and this film definitely kind of has that as well. So it's definitely a vibe, and it's definitely a tone. And as the characters go into the game, then it kind of shifts again, and then they go into a game within the game, and it sort of shifts again. And this the subtlety. Is, is there in terms of just, you know, the way their hair looks and maybe slightly the performance. But there's definitely, when you mention Inception, there's like layers and layers of stuff that's happening. And and I think I get, I get quite bored with films where it's like, is it real? Is it not real? Is it real? Is it not real? That stuff pisses me off. It, I really, I, I, I just have no time for it. There's a video game called The Evil Within, uh, which was made by Shinji Mikami, who did the original Resident Evil. And you basically just play this game and you're maybe or maybe not in the, the damaged brain of a, of a crazy person. And it, it, the problem is, is that all this weird stuff is happening and it's just like, is this real? Is this not real? And it's just like, I don't care because it's just weird stuff and you have to react to it. But then you feel a tap of your shoulder and then Shinji Mikami's behind you. You're playing, <laughs> but I, I think the issue is that the with with those things is that if I don't know what's real, or what's not, I really don't care about the fate of the characters scene to scene. And when you're playing a video game, and it's like, is this real? Is this not real? It's like there's no states. Um, the idea of playing a game and you're getting into it is because you feel a threat against your character and you want them to survive, and you kind of put yourself in position of the character in that moment. But if you're kind of like you complete a level and then like the world flips around and it turns out it wasn't what you thought it was. I'm just like, ah, who cares anymore? Um, I didn't get that with this, though, because unlike the Matrix, where it's like you jack in, it all goes glitchy, all this kind of stuff. That's meant to make the viewer think, oh, maybe the world I'm in is not real. And this is this is all just fiction with this film you don't really see the kind of the transition, you know, uh, the Jude Law character, he talks about, oh, it's, it's seamless. Like there's no, the kind of transition feels natural or, or organic, etc. So I think with the film, I was less worried or wondering about, is this real? Is this not real? And I don't think the, the, the marketing might suggest that. I don't think the film really cares too much about it. I think the film... And the character, Allegra, who created the game at Sustain, she's a bit like go with the flow. And you kind of just 
go with it. Jude Law's character, Ted, is sort of, you know, the audience surrogate in that respect, um, because he hasn't ever played any of her games before. He hasn't had a bioport fitted into him because he's got a phobia about being penetrated. Um, and concerning the film is a lot of exposition. I never felt too lost. I don't think the film wants you to feel too lost about what's happening. There's, there's, It does sort of pile on the stuff like as things sort of ramp up in a kind of deliberate fashion to kind of uh, put you on the wrong footing or, or to sort of, you know, make you feel as overwhelmed and, and uncertain as the main characters. But I think it does a pretty good job of being clear within itself. Like you, you may sort of think from moment to moment, like what the fuck, but you understand what the film is wanting you to understand in that moment. I think <laughs> I feel um, I, I was never sort of too confused as to what was happening moment to moment, but I couldn't possibly go back and explain everything that happened to you. <laughs> yeah. I think this is definitely a film. We're not going to discuss beat for beat because it's very much a, and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. But sometimes like characters, like are not are like playing other characters while like maybe possessed by the game itself. So, it's and I think confusing. it's also really funny. Mm. I, I, I there was there's a lot of really funny stuff in it, and it's got you know it's it's got a good cast who are all having clearly like a sort of good time with it. Um, you know, so you have Jennifer Jason there, you have Jude Law as as the main characters, but then in sort of smaller roles, you have like Ian Holm. You have Christopher Eccleston, and you have Willem Dafoe as Gas, <laughs> as the uh, as the opening makes clear. I'm so thrilled! Like they do go on the little road trip, and like they keep bumping into like great bit bit players like Ian Holm and Willem Dafoe. You're like, yeah, <laughs> just keep going on this road trip. Who else we're gonna meet? And the Willem Dafoe like uh, scene because he's like this gas station attendant, as his name would suggest. And he's sort of helping to illegally fit Jude Law with his new bioport. It's really kind of funny because, again, you've got the audience surrogate and he's worried about it. And he's sort of talking about, oh, like a, all the other times that he's fitted a bioport illegally before. And he just sort of asks, how many times is it? And he says, like, three times. Well, you'll be my third. This daunting thing of, like, effectively, like, this... um you know, cattle gun or, or whatever you call it. It's, it's like called huge the stud device. finder. I actually wrote down, the one thing you don't want to do is miss with the stud finder. <laughs> and yeah, it's like the world's worst dentist, like waiting for your dentist appointment. Did you ever play a game Art God? One word, capital A, capital G. I don't have a bioport. Thou, the player of the game, Art God. Very spiritual. Funny too. God, the artist, the mechanic. Funny. Here we go. Those are sterilized, aren't they? Not to worry. The way they set things up, you could fire in a bioport in a slaughterhouse and never generate an infection. 
Then why the clean overalls? It's a mental thing. Helps me focus. The one thing you don't want to do is miss with the stud finder. Oh, God. God. The mechanic. <laughs> Step into my office. It, there's lots of moments of, of very kind of um, dark comedy and, and self-knowing as well. And I think also the, the, the strength of the film is... I was talking about, oh, would David Cronenberg be like down with the kids or whatever? But I think, I think he gets video games. I don't think the game itself, Exostems, is going to be like the greatest video game ever made. I think the immersion is what Allegra is, is so enthusiastic about. The actual script and story is maybe not so interesting. But I, I read one Letterbutt's review where it says like it definitely gets the feel of a stilted 90s FMV adventure <laughs> game. And I feel like, you know, in a way, if you think about video games in the in the late 90s, it was pretty spot on. But I think, you know, the fact that the film has sort of, it understands the idea of NPCs, it understands uh, you have these characters they encounter and, and they just like sit there kind of looping until you speak their name and then they acknowledge your presence and you have to, kind of navigate dialogue trees to find the information you need in order to progress with the game. So I, I sort of feel like if you compare like some of the other video game or virtual reality movies of the 90s with this one, I think this does a good job of, of not being so dated. I think the most dated thing is the fact that there's like a physical fleshy pod thing that you need to kind of jack into and having peripherals and, and stuff, whereas... Nowadays, it would just be like a tiny implant. I mean, they do have like implants in, in the sense of the bioports, but um, I think most of the sort of ideas, um, you know, still apply. Mm. Well, shall we go into spoiler territory? Shall we go down another level? Yeah. To, I don't know, that's more of an inception type of thing, but there's definitely. Dreams have been dreams and games have been games. So you have been warned. Yeah, everyone grab your MetaFlesh game pod and park yourself into your slave unit. (laughs) Yeah, all this great, all this great sort of crazy ass dialogue. Uh, I think towards the end, um, like Jude Law's bio port, which is like this hole in the back of their spine. it gets infected and Allegra says, I'm going to seal up your bioport with a sporocidal resonator. And, you know, just, just fun little bits like that. I mean, I enjoy that kind of techno babbly stuff, like, you know, neural surgeon and all this sort of thing. And it, it never, I, th- I think the film kind of explains enough, hmm. but also like the, the way of words is that you get it at the same time. You don't have to like be in this world to not, kind of get it and i think that's again a strength of the film and this is like a cyberpunk movie and i love cyberpunk stuff but you know it's meaty side cyberpunk so i guess it would be like meaty punk or something <laughs> yeah it never goes the sort of like neon and rain and and that sort of thing i appreciated that if you think of you know cyberpunk has you know to speak of the game and the forthcoming netflix series it has like an aesthetic which is established and has been around for i mean everything kind of goes back to blade runner in in a certain respect and philip k dick does get a nod 
in here with the Perky Pats, I believe, um, oh, which is food. named after a, a Philip K. Dick novella. Yeah, they go to a, they've got f- food from a fast food joint called Perky Pat. So, I, but I appreciated. Yeah, it's it's dabbling in in cyberpunk, but the aesthetic is definitely Cronenberg. Yeah, and I kind of want to sort of address. I mean, I was quite effusive in my in how much I like this film, but I can I can see why people might not like it because the how it ends. We do find out that like the film we're already in the game world when the film starts. In fact, we're introduced with Christopher Eccleston um, spelling the title out on the chalkboard, existence, and he's like got a terrible American accent and. Like I told my wife this because she's an northerner as well, and he was like, "Oh my god, Chris Anderson is just doing such the most embarrassing accent." And then, surprise, surprise, at the end of the film, we discover like that's that's the start of the film, and everything we've seen has been a game, and everyone's got their actual accents. Even Jude Law, who I think has a pretty good American accent, has his like normal British accent again. And you got Ian Holm. And Ian Holm. You know, you yeah. know he's a great actor, but he's doing this horrific Hungarian accent, and so yeah, he just sort of says that he his accent was so thick even he couldn't understand what he was saying. Exactly. And it's sort of it's a callback as well because in one of the sub levels of of Exorcist, when they're playing, they encounter this character, and he's there, kind of like contact he's like an npc in this kind of game loop scenario and after he leaves allegra is like yeah i thought the dialogue was so so didn't really think much of his accent he wasn't an interesting character so there's this kind of not foreshadowing or maybe it is but it's it's sort of introducing the idea that not everything is that is as it seems Mm. and when you're yeah when i sort of saw christopher edgerson i was just like Oh man, that was a choice, and then less so with Ian Home. But then, even throughout, yeah. you get bits in the real world where Allegra encounters like a two-headed, like lizardy thing, and you think, and she says she just she shrugs and goes, "Oh, love, it's just a mutant lizard or something." But you are because you've ne- you've not seen like the wider world; you've really just seen the inside of this room where the film starts, where they're testing the game. And you see like a road and a service station. The only you think is this actually just is this a video gamey thing or is it like just it's in the near future so for mutants whatever? And she's actually always kicking up the dust and touching the textures of things. And again, you're wondering is this because she's so not used to the real world, or is she testing if she's in a game? So I'm just again you're. If you're if you're tuned into it, I think it does have a squeezy nature. But uh, what I was getting at about the ending really is I, I do love the ending. We all find out the whole thing was a game, and maybe how the <laughs> sorry I'm getting tongue tied. It's that kind of film. I'll get to my point, which is the you realize most of the film was in a game, and I can see how that might piss people off because it is doing the whole it was all a dream type thing, and it's almost like. David Cronenberg is like, got you, ha ha. But the last line of the film, because in the quote unquote real world, this is the bit I remember, like Jude Law's character and Jen, um, Jennifer Jason Leigh's character, they're now 
I guess, the real versions of themselves. And they've got a dog with them. And then they take... they The, the dog is wearing, like, a mid-body wig. They take off the mid-body wig and it's got... The dog's wearing a holster of two guns and they end up shooting the game developer in, like, a callback to the very start of the film when someone tries to attack Allegra, the game developer... Um, so that's the bit I remember because that just, I mean, what did you think when you saw that bit? <laughs> I think, well, I mean, it's an Irish wolfhound, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very big, very hairy dog, so obviously it can hold a gun holsters. I think the, um, I mean, just generally about the ending, this was kind of like the part where it made me obviously like retroactively like the film more, but then also like like equally kind of like think this is stupid (laughs) at the same time. And then I kind of like seconds later liked it again and then seconds later disliked it. And then I've kind of like ended up just thinking, okay, I like it, but I still sort of think it's, it's one of those have your cake and eat it sort of situations. And in a way, like it actually like foreshadows a lot of what the matrix resurrections turned out to be in its kind of commentary of the games. And I think the fact that like, Existen seems like a kind of like dumb 90s title. The fact that the game they're actually playing is Transcendence, again with like a capital C and a capital Z, and they're working, it's developed by Pilgrimage Games. It's making a kind of commentary about people up their own arse. And the fact that, I think what I liked about it is less so that, oh, turns out it was all a game, because that seems like a kind of, like I said, it's it's you watch a film with not very great accents and people with very off performances, and then it's like, yeah, we did it all deliberately. It's a very kind of like, ha-ha, fooled you, but also you had to watch 90 minutes of yeah. a film you didn't really maybe enjoy. And I think some of it works, like when Willem Dafoe is like, I for one was like upset that I got knocked out really quickly because, of course, it's Willem fucking Dafoe. You want to watch a lot more of him. Um but also then it's like, I thought, you know, one of the other characters is like, I thought the twists and turns, there were too many at the end, it got confusing. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Because at the end of the film, it's all this, oh, turns out it was Ian Holmes' character who was meant to be saving Allegra's game. He's the villain and she shoots yeah. him and then turns out Ted was betraying them and she sh- blows his bioport up um, and kills him. There's so many twists and turns in the last couple of minutes. But and I, this is the problem when you're writing notes as you watch a film like this, because I was like writing, um, this is shit. I mean, like five minutes later, it's like, oh, but it's intentionally so. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a fine line. And I think it I think it gets away with it just about for a couple of reasons. Mainly, Willem Dafoe's got a great smile. And I like to see him happy at the end of the film. Like just seeing him back in the movie is just like a plus point uh, to me. Also realizing that Christopher Elkleston wasn't doing that. Isn't like him just doing a bad accent because he's bad at accents, you know? So hats off to him. I think what I, I, I sort of appreciated about it is that it does circle back to the whole plot about the reality, the realist underground and I think it's interesting, again, that Dreamcast, you know, presented in association with Dreamcast, this movie, the fact that it's it's all about sort of anti, 
video game terrorists and they are uprising against video game creators or at least virtual reality creators where they're all about, you know, we're presenting this immersive environment, etc. by saying they're deforming reality. And I think that's just like an interesting concept. And I, I think the fact that, you know, it's one thing to be, oh, wake up and it's all a game and, and the peripherals they're using are your more standard like plasticky sort of things rather than your your fleshy stuff. So I, I think, you know, that that's, I think that would, if that was just how it ended, that would be pretty poor. But I think the fact that it then presents, you know, Allegra and Ted as actually, they kind of corrupted the game through playing it because the developer of the game, he's like, well, there wasn't this empty game uh, part of the story when I developed it. It must've been introduced by one of the players. And the fact that they turn against the games developers and gun them down because they're anti-video games I think it's just like it's like a fun interesting concept I'm less sold on the wait are we still in the game no, kind I of th- button at the end I think that saves it because really because where we're in 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 we're in when we're in what is presented to be the real world what then happens in the next five minutes is so ridiculous by hiding guns inside a dog <laughs> um <laughs> I think what well, this is what I mean. It's it's so it's so basically similar actually to what we've already seen in existence that it does make you think: Is this is this real? It's so silly. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like: Is this the real ending, or is this just a cute button, or is this a joke? And I, I you know, yeah. not to spoil Inception, but. Everyone talks about the spinning top and the way it cuts and there's the sort of ambiguity and it's just like people now writing or uh, long articles of people doing like hour long YouTube videos, just like, oh, well, it, you know, the, does it wobble at the end? Does it mean this? Does it mean that? And my feeling is that Christopher Nolan doesn't care. He just cut the film there because he thought, oh, this is a fun way to end it. And it's like, do, 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 do the end dot, 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 question mark. Um, or is it? And I think that's what David Cronenberg is doing here. That's how Oppenheimer ends. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nothing ever really ends. And I, I sort of feel like when Cronenberg ends the film with that, but wait, are we still in the game? It's like very much a Total Recall sort of punchline ending without it being a real ending. I think it, it sort of stops being ambiguous and then it just becomes cute again. And I sort of like, that's why my feelings of the ending kind of just like spun 360 mm. 180 and then 360 again like you know roller coaster last sort of three minutes of, of the movie i think but uh, i think i think what you're saying is like legitimate i i disagree but i think what i mean but it's legitimate i'm trying i'm sorry i find it difficult to be reasonable on the internet <laughs> <laughs> um I think what I'm trying to say is I just I just like a film which which has the guts to keep the I mean it's it's it's, still, it's ambiguous isn't it we've got a different we've got different readings and so I I'm very much in the category of I really don't know if the last 5 minutes is in the real world um and but I think you can read as though this is definitely in the real world and these guys were terrorists all along I think what it should have done is that 
it cuts to black and then it pulls out and someone's just switched off a PC monitor <laughs> and they're playing Existence, the game based on the movie on their Sega Dreamcast. Yep. And then it, it cuts back out and it's actually, a, it's someone says cut, David Cronenberg <laughs> appears. What's your turn and says like, ain't I a stinker? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess so. Pretty much. How long are we gone? About 20 minutes. God, it seemed like days. It's fantastic. Just think about it, man. If you stayed your whole life in the game world, then you could live to about, I don't know, uh, 500 years. The twists and turns at the end made my uh, head uh, spin. Maybe there was too many too fast to absorb. Uh, I uh, sucked. But you guys were great. I mean, you were like uh, game divas. You know, personally, I, I think you both deserve to win. I was really bummed out at first. I got knocked out of the game so soon. It was fantastic how mean you were. Really scary and crazy. <laughs> you know, I had a lot to do in that first scene at the church, but I thought the character was boring. Hmm. Well, no matter how boring you were, you still all get a certificate. A certificate for helping us out here, and uh, am I right about this, Merle? I think. Uh... Yes, and that will entitle you to reserve one of the first batch of the Transcendence by Pilgrimage game modules to hit the market at a seriously discounted price. You're going to love it. Remember, it's written like this Capital C, Capital Z, Transcendence. It's new, it's from Pilgrimage, Capital P, Capital I, and it's coming soon. As you, I mean, one thing I do agree on, like, I, I do, I very much vibe with the world. I love, like, the squelchy body horror stuff, like, all the sound effects. But yeah, it does, it is, whether you like it or not, the ending is still kind of a got you sort of thing, maybe. Yeah. But, you know, I still think it is, Cronenberg is interested in exploring these questions throughout the film. You mentioned Total Recall. It really is just a handful of scenes. I love Total Recall. Again, I love Verhoeven. But when people like tell you Total Recall is a mind fuck, it's it really is not. It is mostly a cool, <laughs> wicked cool action film. Um, but I just loved. There's, there's a bit in in the film when uh, Jude Law's character like it insists on pausing the game and goes back into. Again, I'm going to have to say this the whole time, quote unquote, the real world, what the film presents is the real world. And he's kind of freaking out when he's back in the real world because he now has, it's, it's so seamless from existence. He doesn't, it doesn't feel real. And I think that is the one thing I'm missing, I guess, from things like The Matrix and Inception and things where they kind of, they know they're back in the real world and, and even inception they have these totems which prove they're in the real world so there's there's definitely always something to confirm to the protagonist that they are definitely back but in this film it's completely out the window and i think it's exacerbated by allegra um who like i'm watching her just serves she she does become more of a video game character and jude law says you know, you're acting like a video game character. And then at the end of the film, again, in the real, real world, we find out that Allegra was never the person who created 
the video game, she was a character in existence, and the character was a video game designer. And it's very hard to talk about this film, isn't it? <laughs> but um, again, I feel it's weird. it's a weird game, isn't it? Because you say it's very much like video games, but it's, the whole point of existence seems to be just coast along doing what your character would do. And when Jude Law is like making a gun out of bones, and that's just a great design. I'm not surprised it sort of was on the poster because in this world to avoid metal detectors you make guns out of bones and flesh and they shoot human teeth and it's so gross and he 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 Jude Law is like pulling it out of a Chinese meal and it makes sounds like I'm really sorry uh, I had to do that <laughs> um that's not an ASMR no it's the reverse I want to pay attention yes <laughs> um but he's doing that because his character knows how to do that um, and there's like a great line or maybe pretentious line to spend, depend, depending on your point of view but like they're talk, the protagonists are talking about free will and how like existence you know you're kind of having to do what the game tells you all the time and Allegra says you know it's just like real life enough free will to make things interesting and I was like huh that makes me think <laughs> how much free will do I really have it's a lot of um, people trying to wrap their head around these concepts. And in a, in a way, that's actually far less sort of wordy than that sounds. Like it, it, the dialogue, as stilted deliberately perhaps as it may be, there is also, it's also kind of organic. It's, it's not like, you know, the quite often lambasted stuff in um, the Matrix sequels where it's, characters monologuing about all these sort of things and very much a tell as opposed to show way and i think this film actually does a better idea of of showing and telling in a way that's sort of engaging but also you know like icky and gross um at at the same time because these metapods that um power existence their components and parts come from mutant amphibians and it's also these same components. But can it play do? I'm sure. It, I'm sure it can. I'm sure someone's got a working metapod out there that runs Doom. But uh, the idea is that in Exostens they go to this game emporium. It's kind of interesting scene again. Cronenberg's idea of a video game shop in a, a video game, um, and there's one slightly meta video game called hit by a car <laughs> the game that puts you in the driver's seat which is somewhere between carmageddon and of course his film crash and they then go to a game within that game and it's where jude law's character ted he finds himself immediately in this kind of trout farm gutting these disgusting giant frog creatures. a great cut things. though in that yeah because they're Again, this film, I want to say it's sexy. There's a rock, there's, <laughs> it kind of isn't, but they cut from uh, Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Lee sort of like groping each other and being all like hot and heavy. And then we cut to like gross fish slaughterhouse, which <laughs> made me cackle. <laughs> there's another video game which you see in the shop, which foreshadows where they end up Chinese restaurant. Will you make it out alive? Mm-hmm. 
I think it's just yeah, the Chinese restaurant scene is is probably the the centerpiece of both ideas of free will, as you say, as well as just gross stuff with bone guns and people being shot in the face and <laughs> very handily um, shot in the face, very nice bit of gore. Um, but also, as you say, yeah. some real gr- OTT dialogue again. It's it's as you say, a vibe. Um, Jude Law has to ask for the special, and Billy Billy has to, he's asked why, and then he says, "Oh, it's Allegra's birthday." And then, like the Chinese waiter says, "A birthday is a special occasion." You're like, what? what's going on here? And it has this vibe throughout, which, like I say, again, if you're not gelling with the film, I think could be just incredibly off-putting. But maybe it's just because we watch a lot of films which are like this, but there's no layers. This just is the performance. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, that seems legit. He's doing a really good version of a bad movie. I mean, there's in that video game store you mentioned, I think that's when like Jude Law... It's like, I think it's saying how ridiculous this all looks. And then I'm like, yeah, it looks just like, just like all the films that we do. <laughs> Did you hear me, Chinese waiter? We want the special. The special is for special occasions. I cannot give you the special. This is a special occasion. It's her birthday. A birthday is a special occasion. I will therefore bring a special for everybody. (laughs) I guess the special isn't very popular. I guess not. I want to put the game on pause. Huh? The game can be paused, can't it? I mean, all games can be paused, right? Yeah, sure. But why? What's wrong? I mean, aren't you dying to see what's so special about the special? I'm feeling a little disconnected from my real life. Kind of losing touch with the texture of it. You know what I mean? I mean, I actually think there's an element of psychosis involved here. Yes. This is a great sign. It means your nervous system is fully engaging with the game architecture. Existence is paused! Yeah, the the Chinese waiter is, is definitely the performance's NPC character kind of stuff and I think it's it's playing into that and the fact that they then make it to the kitchen where this trout farmer um Yevgeny is uh has prepared the special for them which was made out of all these mutant amphibians and he reveals that these mutant amphibians for the metapods have also been made for weapons and there's this the whole killing the Chinese waiter thing was a test to see whether they would be able to be part of the uprising and intro- and, and infiltrate a company called Cortical Systematics, which is a rival developer. 
And then they go back to the Emporium and meet this person who's working there, who's part of the realist underground. And he says the trout farmer is actually a double agent and the Chinese waiter was the contact and he tricked them into killing the Chinese waiter. So they head back to the trout market. They find that Allegra's pod has got diseased in the trout farm. She even sticks her cord in. She gets infected, but she needs to spread the infection to all the other pods, but it's too much for her. So Ted cuts the cord and she starts bleeding to death. And Yevgeny appears and shouts death to realism and gets a flamethrower and tortures the diseased pod and spores emerge and he gets stabbed. And then the whole barn is on fire. And then Jude Law wakes up and says, I think we just lost the game. (laughs) (laughs) I think I wrote after that, again, I wrote in my notes here, Allegra's game seems shit. Why is she so keen to save it? <laughs> but then again, like that's what her character in the game world, which at that moment we think is the real world, uh, that's what her character wants. Allegra, the game designer. Um, but yeah, like I said, again, I can just imagine watching this film thinking everything we're seeing is is real thinking this is a really bizarre this is a really bad film there's all this stuff going on and I don't understand it and I don't <laughs> like it <sighs> I mean yeah, there are like other clues which makes you sort of feel like the real world is is not as real and I, I think again you just don't know with the dialogue where you are the fact that when they're on the run at the start like they're talking about the countryside and it's like it'll be all over the countryside mm. and the countryside is filled with games developers. And again, because we haven't been introduced to the world, like Jude Law's little squidgy mobile phone thing, you think, oh, I guess that makes sense because I've seen flesh pods um, earlier. So why wouldn't he have like a squishy mobile phone? And um, I think there's a line, they, and they are running low on gas and they say, we need to go to like a country gas station. And then mm. the next shot the building has printed on its side, country gas station. And at the time you think that's a funny joke, but then you think, oh no, that's kind of, I guess what a video game designer might just put there. Yeah, because then you see that with the Chinese restaurant in the forest. It's just a building called Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I forgot about that. And then also like the the dog, Jude Law's dog, we, we see at the end, um, we see earlier in the Chinese restaurant and he steals the bone gun, like it's a bone as you would because it's a dog. Later dogs on... Dogs love guns as well. They're always like taking the <laughs> guns and burying them in the garden. Um, but later on, the, the dog then brings the gun uh, to the guy at the game emporium. And then when we're back in the real world, Ian Holmes' character, Kiri, he has a bone gun and says that his dog brought it to him, or a dog brought it to him. <laughs> so it's it's like I, you're struggling, but I, I really appreciate the effort. It's really it's it's true. But it's one of those things. It's it's like a kind of it's a cute joke that becomes a running gag that becomes uh, a clue as to things aren't what they seem. Mm. If that makes sense, I don't think it does. But okay, <laughs> but yes, but, but yes. Again, you're, what I'm trying to say ultimately is that this film makes sense in the moment, mm. even when it's deliberately not making sense. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and again, you've got characters saying just go with it, and I think that's advice to the audience as well. Um, but I don't have much more to say about this. 
I think I would like recommend it bottom line because I think because it did so um poorly it you know, it, lo- it was a flop it was a complete flop and again not just because of lack of marketing but it was just against the matrix with a very similar theme on the surface at least so um i was just actually looking this up i think it's out on blu-ray or like a dual thing i just think it maybe deserves a bit of a, a, re, a an appreciation <laughs> but as you said it's it's a, it's a tough watch some because of like the kind of as you like to say really the gribbly gross nature of it but there's also that 90s fashion which is like the biggest <laughs> it's the biggest, <laughs> biggest sin biggest sin the biggest thing to endure but um yeah i would say don't let the the cover fool you just um if you're planning to see crimes of the future you could do far worse and give this a uh, another spin it, it was i suppose a mildly critical success it did win the silver bear at the berlin film festival i think it's sort of generally held in in some regard it's not considered like you know a bad one of his if if even then it it's maybe has been somewhat ignored and maybe considered a lesser work as a result about. i think just yeah it just it just came too close to like the eruption of like all the other 99 because 99 was a huge year for film as i mentioned before and i just think it got completely lost in the noise of everything else yeah with your matrices and fight clubs uh, question mark yeah, everyone's fighting in clubs in the matrix <laughs> I, I mean it's also got like a lush howard shaw score mm. you know you have this whole like i guess existence theme playing across the opening credits where it has all this i mean again it looks very 90s just anything which has that kind of coppery brownie Nine Inch Nails album cover, <laughs> I don't know, sort of like feel to it is, is definitely of that era. But yeah, very nice music to go with it. It is funny and weird in places. I, I sort of, I do kind of feel like most of what it covers is you could watch the Batch Reality episode of Red Dwarf and get 90% of what you need from it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like when people want to watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy and I'm like, well, just put on Willow. It's got everything you want. <laughs> um, I think, you know, if you have any interest in in Cronenberg's work or you have any interest in those sort of is it real, is it not real kind of vibe movies, then this is definitely... A, a strong candidate. I think it's worth watching if you have that sort of interest, but it it, it is in quite a few respects off-putting and, and not just in the ways that I expected, which were like gross bits of organic matter. I think it is, it's, yeah, it, it's definitely a film in search of its ending. And I didn't expect there to be that kind of twist, maybe naively, um, you big dummy. And I sort of, yeah, but I, I, again, I was just going with the flow. Um, I think I just, it's one of those endings where the film dramatically improves as a result of its ending, but it's also like a really hacky, dumb way to end a movie at the same time. It's both, it's both clever and stupid in ways that is like, 
I, I, I guess I give it like it, it tickles me, and also I think, oh come on, David, <laughs> yeah, grow up. I mean, I've been a bit loath to mention this, but but it reminds me a bit of One Cut of the Dead. I don't want to say anything about One Cut of the Dead because I don't want to spoil anything about One Cut of the Dead. But if you've not seen it, check it out. But what everyone says when when recommending that film is keep with it for like 30 minutes, keep with it for 30 minutes. But in this film, you got to keep with it for like 90 minutes. <laughs> um, but so, so yeah. I mean, I've actually, I've been looking at this film on Blu-ray. I, I was torn between getting the original DVD of the Dreamcast stuff. But if you get the Blu-ray, which is a relatively recent release, a new extra is The Leader, an interview with Christopher Eccleson, who's like in the film for five minutes. <laughs> I don't know why you... I mean, I love Christopher Eccleson, but I don't know why he would get the new feature. <laughs> Very strange. Um, he was available at the time. He was available at the time. Cool. Well, like it all over or just eh about it, I think this is a rare treat on Games of Film to talk about, as you say, a film by a, a master author doing what he does best. Um, I have no idea who else we might be doing. Have we got any more authors? Did, did Stanley Kubrick ever do a video game movie? <laughs> I've not seen Eyes um... Wide Shut. <laughs> <laughs> Spielberg. Let's just check our, our list. John. Well, we we did Ready exactly, Player One. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Oh yeah. Um, um. Well, if we're counting Tommy, that was Ken Russell. I guess and that's Pinball. It's close enough. Mm, you guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, like I said, like I was just saying, video game movies. I think are getting more and more respectable. So maybe just. I mean, I would have probably counted Ben Wheatley, perhaps, but now he's doing like the Meg Two, not Tomb Raider Two. <laughs> well, hopefully, we'll have a author filmmaker do another video game movie in a not too distant future. Uwe Boll. Yeah, I mean, see, I would count Uwe Boll as an author, and I think he would very much count himself as an author. <laughs> but I don't know if many other people would. Well, in the meantime, how can people keep in touch with Games on Film? You can find more information about the podcast and video game movies on our website. Yes, you can go online, chat yourself in, lube that bioport, and join us at gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. More conventional methods of finding out more about our podcast and video game movie news and previews. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Games on Film Pod. You can contact us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And all episodes of the podcast are available wherever you get your podcasts, be it Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts. So please do like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. And the music was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, that's the end of today's edition of Games on Film. <laughs> Or was this all transcendence all along? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's the true. That's the actual alternative ending 
of this film it when turns out no one's listening to us <laughs> i just thought like the guy says is this still a game and then jude law was like who knows Ooh. <laughs> 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 sort of turns an eye to the camera and goes like Ooh. <laughs> uh credits all right well until next time i've been harry i have been rory take care bye-bye bye, bye.